بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحابه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته الحمد لله that we have an opportunity to be here again and to be here again amongst uh, friends uh, it seems as if it was yesterday that we were uh, in the month of Ramadan and those beautiful uh, Ramadan um, sessions that we all were allowed to be a part of and now here we are in the days of Hajj so how blessed we are that our meetings are in the days of blessings and the Hajj as we know is a sacred journey, um, a journey that involves outward toil, uh, but the reality of which is the inward meanings. Um, we know that the Hajj is leaving our homes and traveling, and it's really journeying to the home, the house of Allah. And unlike our visits, to the homes of those uh, that might be close to us or closest to us, uh, we don't try to look our best. Here, um, we come looking however we might look after long travel because the pleasantness that matters here is not the usual pleasantness of one's outer form, but it's the deep, meaningful purity of one's internal state and one's internal reality. Gone are those exterior shows of uh, who we think we are, the personas that we all carry around. And we know that the word personality indicates not who we are, but who we present to people who we are not really. Character is the thing that we are after, and character is an inward state that has a manifestation in your outward interactions with other people. And so these are blessed days. We know that, alhamdulillah. And life is just that. Life is a number of days, as the great al-Hasan uh, the great Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, as he said, Ya ibn Adam, innama antal ayyam, idha dhahaba yawmuka, dhahaba ba'abuka. Son of Adam, you are but a number of days. Each time a day passes, part of you also passes, vanishes. Never to come back. That's all we are. We're just a number of days that have been brought together in this outward form that we see. And so it becomes ever more important then to recognize the days that we are told and informed by our Prophet ﷺ that these days are the days of blessings. And we have blessed days throughout our calendar year. In fact, if we you know, we can look at the seasons and we can see that uh, the spring, the summer, the autumn, the winter, um, interestingly, all four in number, just like the four um, Galenic humors, the four humors or the four temperaments or the four elements of uh, air, earth, fire, water and air or the four points of the compass, even the Kaaba has four sides. We know that the great Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, Hujjatul Islam, that his works are arranged according to fours. We know that. There are always four chapters. There are always four subsections. The number four symbolizes the building of a strong foundation. Now, these seasons, they teach us so much. The, the, the seasons are signs in and of themselves. 
they explain to us the cycle of life. If we look at the spring, the spring is the, the, the beginning, the birth. This is where the dead earth is brought back to life, the spring. And then we have summer. Summer is the time of vigor, when one is full of life. And then we have the autumn, where the leaves start to fall off. The hair begins to gray, a sign that our strength is not what it once was. And then comes around winter, and with winter the cycle ends, only for it to begin again the following spring. Now, in our blessed calendar, we have days throughout the year that are special. And the great Muhaddith Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, in his remarkable book, Lata'iful Ma'arif, he enumerates the months of the Islamic calendar. And he tells us and reminds us that each of these months contains what he terms majalis. These, this term majalis is essentially gatherings. Gatherings that contain breezes. Each month contains gatherings. And each of these months contains breezes of blessings and goodness. Gatherings that we must have in our lives as a reality, in our communities. These should be days that we celebrate year after year, month after month. The first month of our year, for example, we know Muharram. Many a blessed day are present in this month, what he would term majalis, many gatherings, that we should gather on these days and remember those days. These are the days, Natadaw, that we, we speak about them, we celebrate them, we remember what these days represent for us. The day of Ashura, for example, in Muharram, and then we have Safar, again, Ibn Rajab mentions a number of days, and then comes Rabi'ul Awwal, and we know Rabi' in Arabic means spring. And this is the month in which the Prophet ﷺ, he was sent by Allah. The symbolism is not, is not lost on us. He was sent in this month, in the Rabi'ul Awwal, in spring. Just as the spring, the month, is there to revive the earth when it was dead. The Prophet ﷺ is sent in Rabi', the first spring, to bring hearts and lives to life and to give meaning to who we are and then Rajab and then Sha'ban and then Ramadan and then Shawwal Dhul Qa'da and then now Dhul Hijjah which is where we are the final month of the Islamic calendar now how do these gatherings of remembrance these majalis as they are termed by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali how do these majalis help us what do they give us why should we celebrate them why should we be reminded of them why should we partake in them? Why should they be notes in our calendar of days that we must be doing something to, to keep these days alive in our lives? He reminds us that there are three at the very least, and there's many more, but he mentions three benefits. He said that by attending these majalis, by having these majalis and these gatherings as part of our lives, one of the things that we know that they do is that it's, it creates what he terms riqatul qulub. It softens our hearts. Why? Because these are, these are gatherings of remembrance. And when we remember the being who is worthy of being remembered, it serves to make our hearts soft. And then the second thing Ibn Rajab tells us is it creates in us a zuhdu fid dunya. It teaches us to be abstinent from the world. Why? Because once your heart becomes soft, the next step is to become abstinent from the world. The third thing he says, it creates a raghba fil akhira, a longing for the next world. And you can almost interpret this to mean a longing for Allah, because the next world is really just a longing for Allah in this world to be longing for Him. Because in the next world, we're with him. In this world, there's the longing. So what we can see is that um, each, of these, each of these three benefits that are being enumerated by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, they are graded steps. How so? That when our hearts become soft, we can begin to see and we can begin to feel the pain and need of other people. 
with soft hearts, we can begin to feel the pain and need of other people. And when that happens, we, we begin to prefer others over ourselves, and then we can become abstinent from the world. Why? Because when we feel the need of other people, we recognize that they are in need of help and that we can help them and we can prefer them over ourselves. And then how do we do that? We can become abstinent from the world. And our abstinence allows us to free up some of the things that we don't need so we can share with those who need those things. And when that happens, we recognize then that our desire after abstinence from the world, we recognize that our true desire is not here. Our, tr it's, our true desire actually lies in the next world or for the next world. That's where our companions are or the companion, the companions. That's where they are. That's where they're waiting. That's where those that we love, that's where they are. This is where, this is where there is rest. This is where there is enjoyment. That is happiness. That is where the best days, can you think about the best day that you've ever had? And can you now imagine that that day never comes to an end? The best day that we've ever have had, in, you multiply it many times over. We can't imagine, it's never going to end. And that the bad days that we sometimes have will never come around. And then this leads us to happiness. That Then this world is not really, that in Arabic, the word for happiness, sa'ada, it's not a name that's given to this world. We don't hear the dunya being described as Daru Sa'ada. No. Daru Sa'ada, the abode of happiness, is a name that's given to the next world, not to this world. Why? Because happiness is not our end game in this world. It's not what we're here for. We're not here to become happy. And what is interesting, as is always the case with the Arabic language, is that the word Sa'ada shares the same root word with Musa'ada, which means to help others. In other words, one of the ways to happiness, i.e. to get to the next world, the Dara Sa'ada, one of the ways to happiness, one of the ways to the house or to the abode of happiness is to be in the service and the assistance of others. That's how we get to Sa'ada. Sa'ada is not an end game for us here. Happiness is not an end game here. Now we can come to the rites of Hajj. And what we can see really is that the entire experience of Hajj, all of the rites of Hajj are so pregnant with meaning, so pregnant with symbolism. Let's look at these. Let's look at the Sa'i going from Safa to Marwa. It's the, the running between two, two places. Hajar alayhi salam, what is she doing? She's essentially looking for something which is impossible. She is looking for water in barren land. We have to reflect on that for a moment. She is seeking against all odds. But against all odds does not stop her. Why? Because it's when we recognize the impossibility of what we're seeking, we recognize that everything is in Allah's hands. He is the one who makes the impossible possible. This is the dua of the Salihin, that he is the one who makes difficult things easy. He is the one who turns sadness into happiness. Look at what she's doing. She's going from one place to another. She's searching for water. An impossible task in barren land. Doesn't stop her. Look at the building of the Kaaba. That Ibrahim salam, and Ismail salam, are building this structure in a place where no one lives. There's no one there. It's barren land. Now, they are not asking Allah, why are we building this Kaaba? For whom are we building this Kaaba? No one is even here. No, for them, their task is to build. Our task is to build. It's to get on with the work that we need to be doing. And sometimes it may seem that, that we are doing things and that no one responds. No one listens. But we're here we have a perfect example of building something purely for the sake of Allah. Now, 
And, and what are they saying whilst they are building? They're building the Kaaba, and all they are saying, as Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran tells us, they say, Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim. Oh Allah, accept this from us. Because you, you are the one who hears and you are the one who knows. You are hearing our supplication and it's you who knows what this is that we're building and for whom. So let's look. How many millions of people? And let's not make a mistake. The Kaaba this year is not, is not empty. It's not empty. We are told that if the Kaaba, if the Hajj doesn't have the people, Allah will send angels to perform Hajj. The, the, that place is not empty. That's, it's empty because we're looking with our eyes. If we look with our hearts, we know that that house is the house of Allah. It will never be empty. Allah will always bring about people to make tawaf of his house. And so here's a question for us then. How many Kaabas have we built in our lives? Things that we don't we know we have to do it, but are we waiting to see how many people are going to come and congratulate us on the things that we're trying to do or support us in the things that we're trying to do? No, we have to get on with the work. And similarly for Hajar alayhi salam, she's, she's seeking something which, like I said, is impossible. How many times have we sought that water that she's seeking? Something which we knew that it's just almost impossible. Now. And then let's look at the, another rite of the Hajj, the sacrifice. What is the most precious thing that we have either sacrificed in our lives or that we are willing to sacrifice in our lives? Now, look at Ibrahim alayhi salam. He's willing to sacrifice his son. But what we should recognize here is that it's not really his son that he's sacrificing. He is sacrificing his attachment to his son, not his son. That's the test. The test is not the son, because he knows if this command has come from Allah, then I know that Allah is going to take care. He's in Jannah. Ismail is in Jannah. So it's not about sacrificing the son. It's about sacrificing his attachment to something. That's what he's being asked to do. And this is what uh, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali tells us. That's the Hajj. The Hajj is, it's Qatul Alaiq. That's what he says. It's about letting go of those worldly attachments. And then we can go on and look at Mina. It's tents that we're staying in, not hotels. Temporality. The Hajj, again, it's the entire rites of Hajj are telling us in, it's a microcosm of what life should be like. It's a reminder that we are not here to set roots. As a child, I remember visiting people of an older generation and when I think back now, I remember that these people, they had no cupboards in their homes. They would keep their belongings in chests, sunduq as we call in Arabic, trunks in Old English. Now, clearly that, that influences how they live. That influences how they see the world, how they viewed life. That they are living in their homes, but their belongings are packed in chests, not in cup. Well, it's almost symbolic. It's filling. It's telling them that they are ready, to, ready to go from here at any time. You know, our reality is very different to this. We have cupboards, we have wardrobes, we have dresses, and all manner of things. Symbolically, it's telling us that we are here to stay. It's mindsets and frames, you see. How much do we incorporate? How much do we think about those who went before us and how they might have lived? Just because we have the opportunity to live in the way that we do, does that mean that we should? Do we ever even think about it? Fine, let's bring the cupboards in. Let's bring the dresses in. Let's bring the wardrobes in. No problem. But have we even stopped to think about what that might do to us? All these things have meaning. It creates frames in our mind. So these days of culmination, they are here to bring a, 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 um, the, a renewal in our minds. Let's look at the collection of pebbles. The collection of pebbles. Tiny things, symbolic. Why? Because 
the pebbles represent materiality. That's the stuff that things are made from. Now, the same materiality of the world that the shaitan, he throws at us all the time, right? This particular right, this act of casting the pebbles is teaching us that it is us who should be throwing that same materiality back at him. And if we do that, he's helpless to stop it. He can't do anything about that. So that's the question. Are we going to let him hit us with the pebbles of materiality? Or is the Hajj teaching us something that in fact is us who should be striking him with those pebbles? Right back from where they came. And he can't do anything. No. And so the rights of Hajj, the rights of Hajj, they're like a tajri. It's a stripping away. A stripping away of the dunya, a throwing back of the dunya. A return uh, to our place of origin. A, a shedding of our unbecoming rootedness in the world. So it's a renewal. That's what we're being reminded of in these days of Hajj. And then we have the day of Arafah, the blessings of this day. And what do we mean when we say it is blessed? In Arabic, we would say that this day is Mubarak. It's a day of Barakah. And in the Arabic language, the idea of Barakah, it sort of conveys the meaning of increase or to be given in abundance. And so in this context, we understand that it's to convey the idea that Allah is increasing us and for us good things. And these things could be tangible things that we can see, such as an increase in our wealth, an increase in our knowledge, an increase in our good character. Or they could be intangible, such as an increasing of our reward that we will see in the next life. And then we have the, the, the actual name of Arafah itself, Arafah. No? It, it really, it's, it's really it's the day of coming because Arafah Ya'rifu in Arabic means to come to know something to either to know or to come to know something these sort of stative verbs have that dual meaning that you either are something or you come to be something and so here it's really the idea of coming to know now what is it that we are coming to know in the day of Arafah that there is a being that there is a being and no matter how we come to him he will accept us, he will forgive us, and he will set us straight. Now, every soul on the plane of Arafah, every person, and even those of us who are not on that plane, who are not at Arafah, that we are cognizant, we are aware, or we should be aware, that this is the day that we as an, that we as an Ummah, that we turn to Allah, united in our turning, united in our prayers, and we earnestly ask Allah to forgive us, to set us straight. And He does. This is the yawm of itq min nar This is the day when people are saved from the fire. And theologically, it's impermissible to stand on the plain of Arafah to seek of Allah His forgiveness, and then to think that Allah hasn't forgiven. Can't do that. If you sincerely stand on that day with your hands raised, know that you've been forgiven. We're told that it's the best of days, the greatest day. Ibn Hibban in his Sahih, he records a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Afdalul ayyam yawm Arafah. That the best of all days is the day of Arafah. The dua that the Prophet ﷺ would make most on this day, La ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika la. Lahul mulk wa lahul hamd. It's that continuous repetition of the mightiest and noblest of words. La ilaha illallah. The single most powerful idea in existence. La ilaha illallah. There is only Allah. That's it. It's a repetition of that idea. That it's, it, there is only Allah. The dominion belongs to Him. The praise belongs to Him. All goodness is in his hands, and he is able over all things. That's what the Prophet ﷺ would repeat on this day. Now, fasting on a day of Arafah, we know, according to hadith, 
that we are told that the one who fasts on the day of Arafah will have his previous year's sins and, and the, as well as any potential uh, indiscretions of the coming year forgiven. It's incredible, the immensity of this day. And so Arafah is, you know, it's, it's, it's so full of meaning this day. And it's a day that we should really grab with both hands. And the day that where Allah has completed uh, this deen, that we know we're told in the Quran, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم. This is the day that we completed your religion. Because why? The Hajj, because we know that the Hajj, the Prophet ﷺ did, he performed only one Hajj in his life and it was toward the end of his life. That's the day all has been completed on that day. And then following Arafah, we have Eid. We have been blessed with the day of Eid. Now, what we can say, see here is that our idea of Eid is tied together with the idea of, of, of obedience to Allah. Our happiness, our celebration, farah, as they say in Arabic, our happiness on the day of Eid and our celebration on the day of Eid is tied in to the obedience of Allah. So we have three Eids in our deen. Three Eids. One of them occurs every week and two of those Eids occur once a year. And moreover, that each one of these Eids is, is tied together with a specific pillar of Islam. We have five pillars, we know. And each one of these three Eids is tied together with a specific pillar. The weekly Eid, we know, is the, is, is the Friday prayer. And this Eid is tied together with the pillar of Salah, of prayer. Because the cycle of, of a week is seven days. And at the end of that cycle, Allah is granting us an Eid to celebrate the day of completing obligatory prayers for that week. Every week is an Eid. Every Friday. And in, in fact, some of the scholars mentioned that Friday... It's like Hajj in many ways. Why? Because it's, it's or they say it's a poor man's Hajj. How so? That it, it resembles the huge gathering of Hajj where everyone comes together every single Friday. Just as people come together on, uh, on, on, uh, during the Hajj and that we stand in front of Allah and we offer our prayers just as we see uh, on the Hajj. And also because just like with the Hajj, Sins are forgiven from one Friday to the next. And then a second Eid is Eid al-Fitr. It's the, the, the tying together of the pillar of fasting with the celebration. After we complete the cycle of fasting, we're given, in other words, another act of obedience, another cycle of obedience. We're given another Eid. And now Eid al-Adha, the Eid of sacrifice, is again tied with the pillar of Hajj, the Eid of sacrifice. So in, in, in many ways, it's not really a culmination, but a beginning. The Hajj is a beginning, an opportunity, a reminder really of our real journey and what needs to be done. As Hujjatul Islam, you know, Imam Ghazali, as he reminds us that our journeys uh, to Allah can only be complete or achieve success is if we forego uh, worldly pleasures. And by lessening our uh, attachments to things in this world. And he says that that applies even in relation to the things that we need. He says the dururiyat, the hajiyat, the things that we need. That even there we, should, we recognize that sometimes, you know, the things that we supposedly need, we just go excessive in those things as well. Now, that what he says is that we should strive to make all of our actions... For the sake of Allah. And that's the whole idea of intention. Our journey to Allah is about making all of our intentions that we have, many, many intentions. It should be to make our intention one. Allah, that's it. That's, that's the journey of life. Going to Allah, making our intentions, narrowing them down until we get to one intention. And all of these things we know, they're encapsulated within Hajj. We know that, so for instance, uh, we... When we go to Hajj, the provisions that we carry with us, we carry what we need. We don't carry with us all that we own to the Hajj or all that we have. Because 
we know that on in this journey to Hajj, we're not going to engage in buying houses or building houses. No, we're just going to take the things that we need. Our stay there is in a tent. Our provisions there are few. Our food there is, is what we need. Our walking and our movements from Mina to Muzdalifa, all these movements, with, it's, look at that. Ordinarily we walk, we don't even think. But in Hajj, when we walk from place to place, we're doing it for the sake of Allah. That the rites of Hajj are such a powerful reminder of how our journey of life should be. And that's the return. That's all that matters. How we take these deeper meanings of, of Hajj and incorporate them into our own lives. And that's what the pillars of our deen are, are, are there for, alhamdulillah. So, you know, we have so many uh, remarkable opportunities uh, to learn about the uh, not only the blessings that Allah has granted us, um, but as we mentioned in the Ramadan sessions as well, how we're meant to journey. It's a constant reminder because as we know that the word nas in Arabic, some people say it comes from the word to forget. And man is forgetful. And so we're reminded that the, the, the Quran and the prophets and teachers, they're there to provide us with a dhikra, with a reminder. That's what these gatherings that Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali speaks about. They, they, they serve as reminders. They're almost sort of like a compass. They reorient us toward, not towards any particular place on the compass, but verticality. Again, that's part of the Kaaba, you see. You go around the four sides of the Kaaba, and the idea is that, you know, there's, there's the sides of the Kaaba, right? But there's a part of the Kaaba that's vertical. Where two sides meet, that's where the ascension begins. And that's where the ascension of the Prophet ﷺ began, when he was in Min al-Masjid al-Haram, the sanctified place. That's where he began his journey to Allah on the Isra Mi'raj from the Kaaba. So the great symbolism there in these, in these sacred places and sacred spaces. So alhamdulillah, I'm not going to um, uh, uh, take any more of, uh, um, of your time on the eve of Arafah. This is a time that we are all engaging, inshallah, in those uh, the, the few hours that we have, inshallah. So maybe we'll pause. We can take a few questions if people have questions. Perhaps say hello to old faces that we haven't seen for two months. Um, so maybe we'll give a few moments just for if people have any questions. Uh, so there's a question here, which is um, on the day of Arafah, uh, given how blessed the day of Arafah is, what should one do on this blessed day aside from fasting? So again, to increase in your adhkar, to increase in your uh, reading of Quran, to uh, assist uh, others around you in things that they may need assistance in. The fast is really there. And there's uh, in the Ihya of Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, and this is available also in English translation, um, that uh, um, there's a dua that he has written uh, specifically. It's there it's to be read on the day of Arafah. And if you can find a gathering on the day of Arafah, when we, you know, the times that we spent in Muslim lands, that they have gatherings for the day of Arafah. And on these gatherings, uh, they, there's a recital of the Quran and a, a dua for forgiveness, to seek forgiveness, that really there should be what's called uh, an increase in that the, the dua that the Prophet salam, La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah lahul mulku wa lahul hamdu biyadihi al-khayr wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir An increase in on uh, for, for this particular dhikr, an increase in istighfar uh, and to uh, if if those who are able to, to acquire the dua of Imam al-Ghazali uh, to read that, that dua. It's in his book of Hajj, Kitabul Hajj, in his Ihya Ulum al uh, There's a question here. Uh, what did you mean by our, by our companions are in heaven? Uh, that, um, inshallah, those of our companions that we want to be with, uh, or the people that we should, should strive to be with uh, in this world, are the people of goodness. And so the people of goodness will find their place in paradise. Uh, 
and they are truly our companions and they are the sorts of companions that we hope we will meet again in paradise uh, and at another level we can say that the companions are the companions of the Prophet that for example when some of the greats such as Al-Imam Al-Ghazali uh, when he passed away uh, they, it's recorded that uh, people saw in their dreams uh, the Prophet and with the Prophet they saw his companions and they asked Ya Rasulullah um, why are you waiting here with your companions and the Prophet said that we are waiting for Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali Allah Allah that, that's the companions that we want waiting for us inshallah and then they discovered that you know at the time of the dream that was sort of the time where the, where the great Imam in fact left this world at the tender age of 55 now and we know you know the great people they we know that Imam Ghazali the night of his death that he put on you know his coffin and that's another thing of the Hajj you know you're in your you're in your funeral shroud that's what you're in you know that's anyone who's been to Hajj or Umrah you're putting on your sh that's how you're going to go into the ground that day no one the Hajj you can't tell the poor from the rich you know the the influential from those who are forgotten everyone is the same it's a reminder of that the immensity of the actual standing in front of Allah on the day of judgment and so you know our, one of our one of our things in this world should be the striving to seek good companions because companionship you know people should read about friendship and why friendship is important and uh, how to cultivate friendships and how to nurture friendships and how to water friendships and if you if we really really have friends in this world because one of the things uh, or the signs of, of friendship is that only people of good character are able to cultivate friendships. If people don't have good character, they will struggle to cultivate friendships at all. Because friendship is about giving. Friendship is about helping, assisting, caring, loving. Uh, friendship is about understanding. Friendship is about thinking of the other person. The many many virtuous traits and then you see can you that if, if we truly have friendships how that then benefits society and community because if you have lots of pockets of people who are friends that's how they think and then hopefully they'll be one of the problems is that we just we live in a, a world devoid of friendships and in a world devoid of friendships that's a sign of narcissism and nihilism that we're just thinking about ourselves and it's no surprise then that in a world which is marked by selfishness and and just self-centeredness that people just struggle to make friends and then that unfortunately then plays out in our communities and our societies and mashallah shamsuddin we missed you too and it's uh, good to be back here with you alhamdulillah uh, wa alaikum salam uh, i've heard hajj being described as a mini death would you explain that further please what is the meaning like i've just said because you know all of the different stages of hajj it's like you are going through these moments that are reminiscent of those, you know, after death, the, the, the standing in front of Allah. So the plane of Arafah is like a reminder of that, of that, the immensity of that day. I mean, you know, you stand on Arafah and you're around two, three million people. Once you get to that number, it doesn't matter if there's five or ten or one billion. It's just a sea of people. That's all you're seeing. And are you looking around left or right? No, it's just the immensity of that day is taken over. And that can you imagine how many times over the day of judgment is? And then we're sort of seeking that in, in amongst all of this, we're seeking out the Prophet ﷺ. We're wanting to be underneath the arsh of Allah. It's a reminder that this affair is real and that this affair is coming. And it's just a matter of time. There are those who will take lessons from this and take heed. Or there are those who will just think, yeah, it was a nice, Hajj was nice. Hajj is not nice in that sense. You know, it's not a, it's not a, um, um, it's not a travel experience that we put on those travel websites. You know, now you ask someone who's been to Hajj, how was your Hajj? Well, the hotel was, you know, it was fair. And uh, the, the tents had air conditioning in them. Who cares? We're not there for that. <laughs> you know, the, our, our, the, the uh, acceptance of our Hajj is about, it's about, you know, did, is it accepted by Allah? Did I, did, I, did I really achieve what I went there to achieve? It's not about, you know, again, like I've said many times before, that you, it's, it's, it's interesting, as soon as you get to Mecca, problems begin. You know, your hotel's not booked, 
the air conditioning doesn't work, the buses are just not on time, the food is brilliant. This is all signs that Allah is accepting it, inshallah. <laughs> it's not a holiday experience. This is serious, serious, real hard work. I mean, why? Look at Ibrahim alayhi salam. He's in a barren land. He's building a house for the sake of Allah. Look at, look at uh, Haja alayhi salam. She's running to seek water where it doesn't exist. Now, no one's complaining. Do you hear Haja alayhi salam complaining? Do you hear Ibrahim alayhi salam? No. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Allah accept it from us. We're going to do. It's for you to bring. It's for you to accept. What do you want us to do? And we're here to do it. That's it. And only someone who is qatul alayq, someone who has severed their attachments to worldly things, is able to see things like that. So, you know, wallahu alam, of course. What are recommended dhikr on the day of Arafah? Uh, the, the ones that I just mentioned La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la lahul mulku wa lahul hamdu biyadihi al-khayr wa hu ala kulli shayin qadir that's the, the, the dhikr that the Prophet alayhi salam made much on the day of Arafah and uh, to to increase in istighfar tawbah because Arafah is a yawm of tawbah to sincerely turn to Allah in repentance Naam. Alhamdulillah. Uh, thank are we not are we to not fast on Eid al Abha? Yes, it's haram to fast on Eid, of course. There, there is no fast on the day of Eid. If not, what actions are best to do on this day? Uh, Eid is the it is the day of eating and drinking, as we're told by the greats. You know, that's it's, it's a day of celebration. This is the day that we eat and we drink and we celebrate. You know, kulu washrabu, you know, that's it. This, this is a day of, 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 of rejoice. Alhamdulillah. And so, but it's after the hard toil of, you know, doing those things that we're supposed to be doing prior to that. Alhamdulillah. Oh, let's jump up. May Allah reward you, mashallah. Brother Habib. Salam. Uh, I read somewhere that one of the reasons that the Hajj activities or the rites are less open to rationale or logic or less so than the other pillars is that it forces you to do the Hajj with a more fuller Iman. Of course, there's that aspect of um, uh, just complete acceptance and submission to the will of Allah, that this is what he wants us to do and he wants us to do it in this particular way. Um, and then there are those great scholars and Imams who, because of their deep... Um, their deep reflection on these rights and then Allah giving them openings in their understanding are able to see uh, the deeper meanings of Hajj. So for instance, Al-Imam Al-Ghazali in his Kitab Al-Hajj uh, mentions some of the deeper meanings uh, of, of Hajj and the, the various rights of Hajj. But of course, you know, it's not, you know, the, our, first, our first approach and our first our first um, Our first thought should be, you know, Allah, we hear and we obey. Uh, even if we don't understand all of these, the, the, the way that the rites are supposed to be done and the number in which they're done and the fact that it's in this particular season of the year, you know, our first thing should be, and then we should do it with a, a concentrated heart. And then if Allah reveals to us the meanings of these things, you know, beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Many older people are alone. Remember them. Yes, it's a very good point. Thank you. You know, many older people are alone. We're living in a time where loneliness in England, there's a charity for lonely people. And uh, there's an estimate, some statistics I read, that somewhere in the region of 4 million people in England, in the UK, uh, complain of loneliness. And the statistic escapes me right now, but somewhere in a region of 2 to 2.5, maybe more million people uh, claim, uh, sorry, uh, uh, responded by saying that the TV is their main form of companionship. It's a sad state of affairs. You know, those who do not honor their elderly, th what sort of a community are we then? Those who don't have mercy on the children and don't honor those who are old, who are the elderly in our, in our societies and communities. What sort of community have we become if we don't honor them? Now we see bumper stickers on cars, you know, be good to your children because they are going to choose your care home. That's incredible. So, 
our 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 you know the elder generation is so much that that generation those who are maybe in their 80s or 90s right now we should be making a pilgrimage to them because they have things to teach us that once they go we will never have access because they are probably the last generation of people who saw the world like they saw it so we should really be if you know elderly people just go and sit with them and tell me what was it like when you're growing up what was the world like see the world through the eyes that they saw it Naam. Alhamdulillah. Uh, MashaAllah. Uh, you said we are not meant to be happy here. Uh, would it be fair to say we should reach a stage where our happiness is dependent on the happiness of others? To, to, if that's what, of course, because when we, when we see in helping others is our own joy and peace and ease and contentment, those things bring a, uh, a, um, a sense of joy to our lives. And we hope and pray to Allah that he accepts those things that we do for other people. Um, so yes, there's an aspect of uh, uh, contentment that we find in the assistance of other people. And that really is so peaceful, uh, as, as some, if, if that really is something that we, uh, uh, that, that we do. Alhamdulillah. Waikum salam from Berlin, mashallah. Mashallah. Allah bless you, mashallah. Allah yiftah alaykum. Rashad Kowal from Berlin, may Allah bless you. Uh, when I look at current images of the Kaaba, I can't feel spirituality. It's surrounded with tall buildings and other architectural sites. Is there something wrong with Mahat or is it? No, it's, this is it because uh, there's a hadith which is recorded by uh, Al-Imam Al-Sayyuti and, and he mentions that uh, when the, uh, when the um, uh, one of the signs of the end of time is when the buildings in, uh, in and around the Haram become uh, taller than the Kaaba. Now, of course, you know, when we see houses... If, if, if anyone remembers going on Hajj or, or Umrah, um, let's say maybe 20 years ago, uh, when these monstrosities weren't around at that time, uh, you would see that the houses that were on the hills weren't ever uh, taller than the Kaaba. Even though they were perched on the hill, then they were higher, but they weren't, in fact, in, as structures, they weren't bigger than the Kaaba. And so what Imam Sayyuti, he records in his hadith is that um, he says, that one of the signs of the end of time is when the buildings that surround the Haram uh, become taller than the Kaaba. And, um, and the, the most, it's, it's frightening in one way. He says that, the Hadith says that when that happens, لَقَدْ أَذَلَّتِ السَّاءَ That the, in Arabic, this phrase can have two meanings. It can mean that, because ذَلَّ means to shade, to cast a shadow or to, to be in a shade. And so it means that the hour, i.e. the hour, the last day, the day of judgment, it's, it's, it's so close to you now that its shade is now on you. But you can also take it literally to mean لَقَدْ أَذَلَّتِ السَّاءَ That the, the, the sa'a, i.e. because in, the sa'a in Arabic also means a watch or a clock. <laughs> so it can, that the clock has cast its shadow. Tabarakallah. Right? So, you know, the Prophet is... Sadiq al-Mustuq, you know, so Tabarakallah, so it's, it's you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't um, uh, we should feel a sense of discomfort when we see uh, what's happening, but at the same time, you know, we, we are there for a purpose, we're there to focus our intentions and focus our hearts on the Kaaba, on the sacred sites, and neither should we involve ourselves in, you know, oh look what they've done and look what they haven't done and, you know just let people be, that's the best way, let people be if people choose to say well, that's that's up to them, you know, we're not there to 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 upset people. We're not there to um, uh, you know cast judgment on what people may and may not do. Now, inshallah, we, we hope too that it's not until next Eid. Uh, hopefully, we can meet again. Alhamdulillah. Uh, may Allah bless you all. Uh, let's see some more questions. Excellent. Uh, Salam. 
Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So Allah bless you. That's it. I think uh, the last comment there from El Alin and Gere's Milk that when you are there in Makkah Mukarramah, your focus, inshallah, will be on the Kaaba, not the surroundings, inshallah, of course. Alhamdulillah. Uh, what would be some of the best courses for gaining general Islamic knowledge? Um, your local communities, you should look there first. Uh, so wherever you may be, because talaqi, in other words, you, the process of, uh, uh, of um, transferring knowledge, of learning, should be a lived human experience between two individuals. And so try to look for uh, classes that may be in your locality, wherever you may be. Many, many great scholars live in so many different parts of the world. So wherever you are, try to track down those, those scholars and those people and uh, attend those classes. And then, inshallah, uh, beyond that, if you're able to uh, travel, uh, and then beyond that, if you can access a trustworthy as well as uh, competent and reliable uh, knowledge from trusted sources, um, uh, then that's, um, that, that, that would be our advice, alhamdulillah. So may Allah bless you all. May he make this day of Arafah a day of forgiveness for everyone, for all the Muslims. May it be a day where anyone who turns their heart and anyone who has even an iota of faith, that they're forgiven and that they are freed from the fire. Let this be a beginning of a new chapter in our lives. Let this be a wake up for us. Let this be a renewed energy with which we go and make the world a better place. Let it be something which uh, we can look back on when we all, inshallah, are sitting in more loftier uh, places in paradise and see that these moments were moments of, of true meaning uh, for all of us, alhamdulillah. Uh, and we just ask you to keep us all in your du'as, uh, the people who help and facilitate, you know, again, uh, Brother Tariq and his team and the small college that we call Cambridge Muslim College uh, to keep uh, the, the college and the sheikh, of course, and your prayers. And inshallah, let's hope that we are able to meet sooner uh, rather than later. And until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuhu.